And this script really determines our behavior. It determines such things as how we spend our money, where we invest our lives. It informs little things and determines little things like how we vote or where we go, uh, what we do. And you see, here's the problem that Paul has with this Corinthian church. It's not so much the behavior that they are displaying as it is, why are you behaving that way? And can I say that's always the issue because really your behavior is not the problem. Our behavior is not the problem. You see, behavior is simply a symptom of a deeper problem. So the question, we, the question that we must ask ourselves sometimes is, why do I behave the way I do? And you see, the, way, the reason we behave the way we do is because we're living off of this script. And sometimes the script is wrong. And if you're living off a script that's wrong, make no mistake about it, our behavior, our actions, and our ethic are also going to be wrong. So it is very important to know why we believe what we believe and understand the source of authority that's behind this unwritten script which subconsciously determines how we live, how we behave, and how we make decisions in life. Everybody comes to the table with this script imprinted in your life. Now here's what conversion does. When you're born again... All of a sudden, the rug is ripped out from under you. The script that you've been living by is balled up and thrown in the trash can. And supposedly, we are given a new script. And this is the basis of our life. Now, here's what sanctification is, that process of sanctification. The process of sanctification is me replacing the reasons I do what I used to do with a biblical reason. You see, because when you have a biblical worldview, when our Christianity is biblical and not cultural, that script is written in us by the authority of God's infallible Word. And we do what we do. We are who we are because the Bible is now the script off of which we are living. And you see, that's what's going on here in Corinth. Paul writes to them and he's really not so much as upset with the boneheaded decisions that they are making as he is with why are you making these amateurish, spiritually immature mistakes? There's no reason. So Paul really talks to them and through this text he identifies for us what I call the crippling characteristics of cultural Christianity. The church down at Corinth is a New Testament example of a church whose script is not informed by the Bible, but informed by pop contemporary culture. I mean, just look at the problems they have. I mean, we've already seen a plethora of problems, and we've not gotten halfway through the book yet. Their problems are not just behavioral, but their problems are belief. And you see, they are making these bad decisions and they have all these problems because of doctrinal deficiencies and belief issues in their life. You know, uh, 
years ago, uh, I put a theory on the table and I spent about four years of my life trying to substantiate it in my doctoral studies. And here's the theory. Every bad behavior has as its basis a bad belief. In other words, every ethical problem that's exhibited in a local church is because there is a doctrinal deficiency somewhere or another. So that's what Paul is getting at with these Corinthians. He's trying to get them to understand and to come out of this condition where they are crippled in their faith because their, their, their faith is not biblical but it's cultural. The script has not been written by the Bible, informed by the Bible, but by their culture. And boy, you see the problems that ensue when that happens. So let's look and see what some of these crippling characteristics of cultural Christianity are. And by the way, this man, this thing just loaded with questions that we need to ask ourselves because ultimately what we're wanting to know today is how much of my faith is biblical and how much of it is cultural. Why is it we do what we do? What is my biblical basis for making this decision? What is my biblical authority for acting in this way? And you see, if we can't answer those, then maybe our faith is more based on culture than it is upon Bible. So notice what it is that Paul says in this passage uh, about cultural Christianity. What are some of the characteristics of cultural Christianity? Number one, verses one through four, I think Paul is telling us that cultural Christianity has a willful ignorance of Scripture. A willful ignorance of Scripture. Now check out what Paul says, and I hope you have your pen in hand because I want you to underline some things today. Look with me in verse number two. Do you not know? Underline that. Then look with me again in verse number 3. Do you not know? Now when somebody doesn't know, what does that mean about them? That means they're ignorant. That's exactly right. Now you understand there's a difference between being ignorant and stupid. You see, we can fix ignorance. Ain't a whole lot you can do for stupid, right? So they were in this condition where Paul says, Do you not know? But watch this. I don't think the Apostle Paul is like the professor that gives you a pop quiz over material that he hasn't presented yet. Don't you just love that? Oh yeah. See, I don't think Paul was like that. I mean, Paul spent a significant amount of time in Corinth. We know that he's already written them several letters. So Paul basically is saying, why don't you know these things? Because you've been exposed to them. I've taught you. I've written you letters. And yet they still don't know them. So they had a willful ignorance of Scripture. Hey, supporting my theory that every ethical problem we have stems from a doctrinal issue or a doctrinal deficiency that we have. But now watch this. The Corinthians had more of an excuse than you and I. I mean, they had the Apostle Paul come and spend a couple years with them and he taught them for a couple years. He wrote them a couple letters, but guess what? We've got the whole book, brother. And the bottom line is it stays on our coffee table collecting dust more than it does in our hands. So you understand, we are more guilty. We're more culpable of this idea of cultural Christianity even than the Corinthians were 
because they had a willful ignorance of Scripture. But son, if they had a willful ignorance, how much more willful is ours? So why is it that the Corinthians had a willful ignorance of Scripture? And I think it's the same reason why we have a willful ignorance of Scripture. And I think reason number one is because of their priorities. Because of their priorities. Now check this out. Here's the other thing I want you to underline in in these verses that I just read. Look what it is that Paul says in verse number 3. He says, do you not know? You see, there's their willful ignorance. And notice these matters that he's bringing out. Obviously, he had already taught them. And this is some pretty deep stuff, is it not? Do you not know, he says, that we will judge angels? My goodness. Do you not know that we will judge angels? Now think about that for a little while. So Paul says, if you are going to be sitting in judgment over angelic beings... Why in the world can't you handle these small issues of life? So look what he says here in the very next sentence. How much more matters of this life? Underline that phrase. Matters of this life. Now look with me in verse 4. So if you have law courts dealing with, here it is again, underline it. Matters of this life. Now check this out. It's cool. I had to get my... my, my whiteboard up here so I could write this for you because there's no way I can explain it. We're about, we're about to dive off. Y'all ready? The, words, the word here that is translated with these three words, matters of this life, let me transliterate it from Greek into English. Biotica is the word. And it's translated matters of life. Now check this out. This word bios, I mean, you recognize that. It's the word which we get our word biology from and and every other word that starts like that. But here's what bios means. Bios uh, is the Greek word that refers to natural life. It's the type of life that you have simply because you've been born physically and because you're breathing and because your heart is beating That is natural life. That is bios. And Paul says two times in here he refers to matters of this life over which they were taking one another to court. Now, this word is not used in the New Testament. I don't know if it even exists in the Greek language. So I would like to make up my own Greek word today. Can I? Is that all right? Y'all follow me. Here is the word that I want to make up today. Zoetica as opposed to biotica. Now here's the reason why I want to make this word up. The contrast in Scripture is always between these two words right here. Bios and zoane. Zoane is spiritual life. It's the word that's used every time Jesus refers to life. He says this, he says, For I've come that you might have life. Zoe, and that you might have it more abundantly. When he says, I'm come that you might have eternal life, guess what it is? It's Zoe. So here's the problem down in Corinth. The Corinthians have not had the script rewritten in their life and they are totally preoccupied with the matters of bios, with natural life, 
and they don't even have spiritual life on their radar. And friend, if that doesn't describe the rank and file among churchgoers today, I don't know what does. That's why there's such a disjunct between how we act on Sunday as opposed to how we act on Monday through Saturday. Because the only thing that we have in our life that represents anything spiritual is the fact that our Heidi was sitting on a church pew somewhere on Sunday. But you see, when the priority of your life is zoatica rather than biotica, then friend, everything changes. That's when the script is beginning to change. That means your priority in life is not these natural issues, not these things that I have to deal with just in order to maintain natural life, but the priority of my life is not natural life, but it's spiritual life. That's when your priority begins to change from materialistic things of this life to spiritual things that pertain to the kingdom of God. And why is it that these folk down in Corinth were ignorant of the scripture? It's because they had priorities elsewhere. Now you just stop and think with me. Why is it that we spend so little time in God's word? Why is it that we spend so little time and energy in things that have eternal significance as opposed to how much time we are spending on things of the natural life, the biotica? And I'll tell you why. It's because our priorities are equally as out of line as the Corinthians. Now listen, here's what's cool. You don't have to become a monk and live in a monastery somewhere to spend time with with kingdom-focused things. Here's what happens when you get converted. Here's what happens when that script is beginning to be replaced. Your, your, Your tendencies begin to change and you begin to place as a priority in your life things of the kingdom rather than things of this world. And you still have an 8 to 5 job. That doesn't mean you leave your 8 to 5 job and you go serve on an international mission field somewhere necessarily. But it means that you realize that the priority of my life is His kingdom. So I use the things in this world. I use my job. I use the natural flow of biotica as a platform from which I promote zoatica, the kingdom of God. And you see, when that takes place, then we're getting somewhere. But man, when we've got this disjunct in our life where we're concerned about doing this, here's what's cool. Just do an inventory in your life. You've got 168 hours every week. How much of your time is spent totally consumed with stuff over here rather than stuff over here? Rather than using this in order to influence this. Well, why were those Corinthians in willful ignorance of Scripture? Well, number one, it was because of other priorities. And Paul points that out here when he uses this word, matters of this life. And he almost uses it in a derogatory sense, and we can see why. So they had a willful ignorance of the Scripture because of other priorities. Hey, what's your priority? Tomorrow. What's the highest priority in your life tomorrow? And if it's not Him, 
If it's not this, no matter what you're having to do over here, then maybe our Christianity is more cultural than it is biblical. Number next, not only because of other priorities, but because of wrong patterns. Wrong patterns. Now, here's what I mean by this. I grew up just about the time my grandpa retired. And boy, the things that he put in my life, because we were together every day. And uh, I still benefit today from the stuff that I learned from my grandpa 40, 50 years ago. And here's what he would teach me. And, I, you know, I've, I've told Cliff this. Don't get me wrong. I am in no way a carpenter on the level of Bo Durham or Cliff Myers or anybody else in here or, 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 or Zach who can do that kind of stuff. That's not me. I'm not, I'm not that type of carpenter. What I am is what I call a barnyard carpenter. Because my grandpa taught me how to make cow pens. He taught me how to make a porch on a barn. You know, all that stuff that really doesn't matter if you mess up. That's the kind of stuff that I can do. But here's what my grandpa taught me. I'll never forget this. We would take measurements and we would, we would cut us a pattern for the next seven or eight pieces of lumber that we had to use. And I never understood why I didn't just use the one I just cut as the pattern. My grandpa would make me always go back to the original one and pick up the original and say, son, that's the pattern. I said, but yeah, but we just used it to cut that one. And this one's closer, let's use this one. No, we're not going to do that. Why not? Because I may be off just a little bit on this one. And if I'm off a little bit on this one, I'm going to be that much more off on the next one. So I'm always going to go back to the pattern. And you see, that's why Paul tells these Corinthians, imitate me as I follow him. And too many times we are patterning our life after the wrong pattern, the pattern before us that was cut wrong also. And here's what I hear so many times. And I know I'm off the printed page here, but here's what I hear. Well, that's not what mom and daddy said. Mom and daddy aren't the pattern. I hear people say, well, that's not what my pastor taught. Maybe your pastor's not the pattern. Well, that's not what my church believes. Maybe your church isn't the pattern. I'll tell you what the pattern is. The pattern is right here, Daddy. And if it conflicts with this, I don't care who it is that says otherwise, they are 100% of the time incorrect. Huh? Here's the pattern. Here's what we are having imprinted on the script in our lives if we're going to be biblical believers rather than cultural believers. i got to run on. Check this out. What are some of the crippling characteristics of cultural Christianity? Number one, has a willful ignorance of the Scripture. Paul says two times in here, Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? Check out number next. Not only do they have a willful ignorance of Scripture, but they have a woeful disdain for the insight of the saints. So check this out. Look in verses 4 through 6. So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, there's our word biotica, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. 
Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. They have a woeful disdain for the insight of the saints. You know what Paul is saying right here? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, good God in heaven, church. Why are you taking personal matters and airing out dirty laundry before the people whom we're trying to reach? And aren't we all guilty of that? It seems that there's nothing that will heat up the grapevine of gossip more quickly than dirty laundry in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. My goodness, why can't we keep some of that inside? And here Paul is telling them, isn't there not one wise person in the First Baptist Church down at Corinth that can do this? That you would be willing to submit to, put the evidence on the table, and let the wise men of the church decide. Isn't that better than you airing out your dirty laundry in front of an unrighteous, pagan judge whom we're trying to reach with the gospel. But yet that's what they were doing. So why were they doing that? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, because here's something that's very cultural. It was cultural for them and it's cultural for us. Why did they have a woeful disdain for the insight of the saints? Because of prideful individualism. I'll tell you what the climate in Corinth was. Climate in Corinth was all about individual rights. It was all about you being able to do what you want to do. And boy, I want to tell you, that's, this was another time in another culture, but it almost sounds like here and now, does it not? Because I want to tell you, everything in the United States of America today is about individualism. Individualism. To the extent that the individual is placed at a premium even above the group. And friends, listen to me. That is not only non-biblical, that is anti-biblical. And the reason why some cultures today get this thing to a greater degree than we do is because they still have this communal view of life. Man, I tell you what, when I take you into a Quilombola village... There's nothing about individualism there. You know why? Because in the Quilombola village, it takes every member of that community for that community to survive just one more day. So you better not come in there in a Quilombola village acting like you're the king of the world and you're the most important thing that there is and everybody bows down to you because you will very quickly be shown another location. And here in Corinth, it was all about individualism. So how can you know if your Christianity is more cultural than it is biblical? Just like the Corinthians. You may want to write this one down. If you constantly make unilateral decisions about major life directions, then friend, you're a cultural Christian. If you make your own decisions unilaterally about major directions in life, then you are a cultural Christian. 
Let me tell you what a biblical Christian does. A biblical Christian recognizes the value of the church. A biblical believer recognizes that God has placed within that church men and women whom He has supernaturally gifted with insight and wisdom and He hasn't put them there just so they can look smart. He's put them in there for the good of the body. And and a biblical Christian, before they make a major life decision, no matter what it is, whether it's going to an international mission field, whether it's going to move to Atlanta, Georgia for, for, for whatever reason, a biblical believer is going to run it by these spiritual men and women whom they willingly submit their life and respect in the faith. That's what they're going to do. Can I say to you, man, from the standpoint of the world, my life is nothing but one crazy decision after another. I mean, it really is. And from the standpoint of the world, I'm an idiot. But that's all right. But I have never made one of those decisions, one of those life-altering decisions without the church being involved. Back when I was just a young pup, 25 years old, and I knew that I knew that God had called me to preach. If my church would have said to me, on the Sunday morning I made that known to them, what? Are you sure? Then something I'd have reconsidered. I'd have said, wait a minute. If y'all don't see this, maybe I missed something. One of the questions that I always ask young men at their ordination council is this. So tell me, if this ordination council meets today after examining you and we decide that we're not going to ordain you, what would you do? And do you know what the response is the overwhelming majority of time? The response is, I don't care what this council says. I know what God's done in my life, and y'all can do whatever, but I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus. And can I say, failed. You failed. You failed. Because you're a cultural Christian. Because a cultural Christian will never put himself above wise, insightful gifts that God has given to the church of Jesus Christ. They'll submit to it. And boy, I tell you today, it just grieves me when folk at Grace Church make unilateral decisions to move families across the entire span of the country for biotica reasons and never think to sit down and ask John Wilson. Never does it cross their mind to talk to Cliff Myers. Never do they even have the thought, should I talk to Jerry Newman about this? Should I talk to somebody in church who God has placed around me that has wisdom? Something's going on, and let me tell you what's going on. That's evidence of cultural Christianity. If I'm the one that makes my own decisions, and I don't seek advice from anybody else, that is not a biblical believer. Got to run. I'm going to be in trouble here. Check out number next. Why did they have woeful disdain for the insight of the saints? Because of prideful individualism. But number two, because of what I call perceptual inversions. 
perceptual inversions. Now let me show you where Paul talks about this. Here, here's, here's where he says it. In, um, in verse number 4. Now look what he does. He makes this comparison all through this text. In verse number 1 he talks about the very last, very last clause. Before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Now check out with me in verse number uh, 4. Do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? Boy, that's a hard word. That's a hard word. Those who are of no account in the church. It's a term that comes from accounting and bookkeeping. And here's what it means. It means that they have absolutely no value. They don't move the needle one bit. They add no value. They're basically useless. It's the type of people that my daddy used to describe like this. He'd say, boy, I'd love to buy him for what he's worth. Go ahead, Jerry. <laughs> Your daddy said the same thing, didn't he? That's right. Buying for what he's worth and selling for what he thinks he's worth. And Paul says, you are going before people who have absolutely no value in the church. Now, boy, I could go a hundred different ways with that. But here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, why do you, who are supposed to be over here in this realm, go and appoint somebody who has no value in this realm to judge between people who live in this realm. And he says, here's why you do it. Because of perceptual inversions. Here's something else that cultural Christianity will do. Cultural Christianity will cause you to see things opposite from the way God sees them. Here's what those folk in Corinthians were doing. They were looking at those heathen unrighteous judges and looking at them as the end-all authority. And Paul's saying that's not the case. Paul's saying the end-all authority is right here in your own church. Why don't you get over there and let some of these godly men help you with these issues? So here's what, it, here's what they were doing. They were calling people good whom God says is of no value. You see that? That's the inversion. That's when our value system is turned upside down. And we are calling good what God calls bad. And we're calling bad what God calls good. And we're calling valuable what God says is absolutely worthless. So they had this perceptual inversion going on. Hey, a cultural Christian cannot make good value decisions. You know why? Because they've got this perceptual inversion thing going on. And they're going to call it opposite almost every single time. So here's a good question. Well, I told you I was full of questions today. Here's another question. Who are my heroes? Who are my role models in life? Because if you're heroes, and the ones that you want to pattern your life after are lost people then you are probably a cultural Christian. Let me run. Check out number next. 
crippling characteristics of cultural Christianity. Number one, it has a willful ignorance of Scripture. Number two, it has a woeful disdain for the insight of the saints. And then number three, it requires that biblical faith be increased substantially. Now look at these last few verses. Here's where Paul calls them to the table. And here's where Paul shows them how far short they're falling and how much they must increase their biblical faith. So here's what he says in verse number 7. Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you even have lawsuits with one another. So why do we need to increase our biblical faith? Number one, to stop living in defeat. To stop living in defeat. I promise you, cultural Christianity will never bring victory to your life. A church that is steeped in Christian Christianity will never bring a victory to the realm of Zoatica. It just will not. It cannot. It has no power. The only way we have power, my friends, is when we are standing on the authority of God's Word and our faith is biblical and we can answer the question, this is why I'm doing this because this is what God's Word says. Jesus said, wise man built his house upon the rock. You know what the rock is. Whoever hears these words of mine and acts upon him will be like a wise man who built his house on the rocks. And then you know what happened. Floods came. Let me take you to another scripture real quick. The gates of hell can beat against it and it's not going to go anywhere. But friend, listen, the reason so many professing believers today live a life that is totally in defeat and desperation and depression is because our faith may be more cultural than it is biblical. Paul Griffin Jones, one of the smartest men I know, I mean, he is a Ph.D.-trained expositor. But this man has insight, analytical skills, and abilities that are uncommon for your average Ph.D., you know what I mean? I mean, let's just be honest. I know some guys got Ph.D. behind their name, dumb as a bag of hammers. They just test real good, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Paul Griffin Jones, not one of those men bright and shining star in evangelical Christianity 30 years ago. So much so that convention leadership recognized his, his prowess. And they put him at the head of the Christian Life Commission in the Baptist Convention in Mississippi at the time when the National Gaming Commission was knocking on the door at Mississippi, wanting to come to Mississippi. So conservative evangelical Christians put Paul Griffin Jones there. And son... I want to tell you, he's a sharp cookie. He's not arrogant. He's not prideful. He's just a sharp cookie grounded in God's Word. And it was his job to stand on the floor of the legislature in Jackson, Mississippi and defend against these tacks from all of these guys in the gaming commission. And it was a rare day that Paul didn't make them look like they were idiots. He's just so sharp. So Paul's there all during the early 90s and he's warding this stuff off and they just keep bringing it back year after year. Here's the thing about it. You can't defeat it one time and it's gone. It comes back next year. So Paul just was there and he was a fixture and he knew everybody in both houses and everybody on both sides. But finally, they wore him down. 
And about 1993 or so when it finally passed, Paul told me, I had lunch with him one day in Mississippi, and I said, tell me how all this went down. He said, well, let me tell you. He said, when it finally went down, he said, I asked the guy who had my position but was on the other side, who was hired by the gaming commission. He said, he's, listen, he told me, he said, this guy's shrewd. He's sly. He is, he is slippery. He's smart. He said, and for about four years, he and I were on opposite sides of the fence going toe to toe. Now, he said it was always cordial. He said, but make no mistake about it, we were on opposite teams. I said, I get you. He said, well, on the day when it all fell down and we lost, he said, I walked over to opposing counsel's table and I said, man, this has been a long ride. They said, yeah, it sure has, Paul. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'd love to take you out. We've never sat down and just had a personal conversation. It's always been this stuff. He said, I'd love to take you out and buy you lunch and have a personal conversation with you. He said, man, I'd love to do that. No problem. Let's do it. So Paul said he made a reservation. He took this guy out. He said they were in Jackson, Mississippi. And Paul said after the normal small talk, he said, I told him, he said, there's one thing I want to know. He said, sure, what is it? He said, of all the places in the United States of America, why South Mississippi? Particularly, why Gulfport and Biloxi? And he says, oh, he said, that's pretty easy. He said, I'll, I'll help you understand. He said, you know, the, our, our national conglomerate of gaming said we've always wanted a three-legged stool of gambling in the United States of America. We've got one in Las Vegas, we've got one in New Jersey, and we needed another one. We know we need another one if we're going to really have the control of this industry like we need it. So he said we began to look for the places for that third leg. And he said the first place we looked was Louisiana, New Orleans. He said, but can I be honest with you? He said, them dang Cajuns over there are crazy. <laughs> he said, they still operate under Napoleonic code. He said, we just couldn't deal with that stuff. He said, so New Orleans was automatically off the table. <laughs> That's funny, ain't it? He said, so we eliminated New Orleans, so we began, you know, and here they having meetings trying to decide this stuff. He said, so in our next meeting, we said, all right, next logical place is Florida. He said, so we went to Florida. And we began having closed-door meetings with some of the power brokers in Florida. He said, but lo and behold, Disney showed up. And he said, Disney said in unequivocal terms, he said, if Florida allows this stuff in our state, we'll pull up every stake we got and we'll leave Florida and go somewhere else. So Disney saved Florida. So he said, the next thing we started looking at was Biloxi, Gulfport, Mississippi. It's halfway in between these. We thought, great place. So they began to do their research, and he said, here's what we found. Now remember, this is the guy who represents the other side, giving us insight into the powers of darkness. And this is what he said. He said, so we began to do our demographic research on South Mississippi, and here's what we found. We found that there's a deep racial divide. He said, anything the white community is for, the black community is automatically against. He said, anything the black community is for, the white community is automatically against. And he said this. He said, as long as we got divisions that deep in a society, we can win. You ain't heard it all yet. He said, so we began to look at our greatest opponents, and we knew our greatest opponents were going to be Southern Baptists. He said, so we began to do our homework and our research on Southern Baptists in the state of Mississippi. He said, and here's what we found, Paul. 
Remember, this is our enemy. And when he told, when Paul told me this, cold chills ran up and down my spine because this is what the man said. He said, Paul, not only does South Mississippi has a racial divide that we can win, he said, but South Mississippi is filled with cultural Christianity. He said, we found out that in South Mississippi, the average run-of-the-mill Baptist church is not biblical, but it's cultural. And he said, anywhere cultural Christianity exists, we can beat it. Now listen to me. That's a man who represents the side of darkness. He was sitting down with my friend and he was giving him some secrets of the trade that the side of darkness knows they can use against us. And the number one thing he said, we can beat cultural Christianity 100% of the time. So why do we need to increase our biblical faith? To stop living in defeat. Do you know why it is that we've lost the United States of America? It has nothing to do with liberal politicians. It has to do with weak believers. It has to do with folk whose faith is not biblical, but it's cultural. It's based on what mama said and what daddy said and what culture informs us. It's based on everything but this. Hey, do you know what my buddy was really telling my friend Paul Griffin? He was really telling him this. We're so glad to see that the Christianity in South Mississippi is cultural. Because if it was biblical, we wouldn't have a chance. Huh? That's why Paul says, hey, interesting, this word defeat is the exact opposite of the word victory that Paul uses in Romans chapter 8 and verses 28 all the way down through 30. You are more than victorious. Man, I want to tell you, when our faith is founded upon this book, there is nothing that can stop us. No national commission on gaming, no gates of hell, nothing will prevail against a church that's founded upon the rock. But just about anything come along and blow us down if it's cultural. I got to hurry. Lordy mercy. Here we go. Number one, why do we need to increase our biblical faith substantially, number one, to stop living in defeat. Number two, to accept the loss for the team. Look what he says. I love this. Look what Paul says in verse number seven. He says, why not just be wronged? Why not rather just be defrauded? Rather than what? Rather than taking your brother to court in front of a heathen magistrate. He said, why not just take the loss? Just eat it. It's better for you to eat it than it is to air it out. Man, I tell you, I'll never forget the time I, when Heather and I were pastoring on the East Coast, there was this boy over there that I'd spent a lot of time with trying to win him. He was a Mormon. Caleb? Spent a lot of time. He was the head of the National Turkey Federation in southeastern Georgia. So he and I hung out a good bit. And lo and behold, at one of the Southeastern uh, uh, Georgia National Wild Turkey Federation meetings, that old boy pulled a fast one on me and beat me out of $200. I knew it, and he knew it. And look here, it could have got ugly. 
I don't know how it did, how it happened, but you know, here's what we do all the time. Well, it's not the money, it's the principle. No, no, no. Is it this or is it this? Which one's a priority in your life? And boy, something just washed over me because this is not normal. But here's what washed over me. Heather said, what are you going to do about it? I said, I'm not going to do a thing. Now, that's not like me because I normally want to have a discipleship training lesson with them, you know? <laughs> so she was like, wait a minute. Who are you and what are you doing with my husband? <laughs> I said, baby, that $200 wasn't mine. That was God's money. And if he won't steal God's money, let him go ahead and do it. But I'm out of it. Because I'm not going to ruin a relationship over unrighteous mammon. If he needed the money that bad, that's fine, go ahead. I'm going to continue to treat him like a friend because we're going to win this boy one day. So here's question number next. We might be a cultural Christian if we'd rather win an argument than a person. You know anybody like that? I'm like that if I'm not walking in the Spirit. Might be a cultural Christian if we'd rather win the argument and lose the person. Number next, and I'm done. Check it out. Requires that our biblical faith be increased substantially. Number one, to stop living in defeat. Number two, to accept the loss for the team. Sometimes just by golly got to say, yeah, I got taken. But I'm not going to take it to the next level and make it worse. I'm going to take this one for the team. For this team. I'd rather lose with this team than win with this team. Check it out. Number next, and I'm done. Requires biblical faith to be increased substantially so we can leave the results to the Lord. Look what Paul says in verse number 8. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves... Wrong and defraud. Now here's the sense of what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, they got you. Now what? Now let's get them. It's the old slogan, the philosophy of life says, I don't get mad, I get even. But here's what the Bible says. Here's what we got to replace that with. Here's how we rewrite the script. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know what? I had rather God deal with my defrauders than me deal with them. Hadn't you? And make no mistake about it, he will. But listen to me, it requires a different script to do these things, guys. It requires a biblical script to stop living in defeat, to ground ourselves on his word, to accept the loss for the team, and leave the results to the Lord. I can't tell you how many times John Wilson has talked me off a ledge because sometimes the redneck in me don't want to leave it to the Lord. I'd rather take care of it right now. Here's how you know if your Christianity is biblical or cultural. If you have difficulty leaving it with the Lord. If you'd rather handle it yourself in this realm rather than leaving it with Him in this realm. They want none of us survive. Grace Church won't last another generation. If our, if our belief is cultural rather than biblical. That's why we say we're going to teach it, 
We're going to invest in you. We want you to know. We want you to grow. And we want you to go in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that it never goes.